Hey everybody, this is Chris Eggleston. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Draft. And as always, it's great to be with you today. Uh, so today, I just had some thoughts. I was uh, working with a client. We're getting ready to launch a new mobile application for them, and we're we're trying to run a a really uh, aggressive pre-launch strategy. Uh, and so we're going to pre-launch the app with a pre-launch app. And uh, the idea is is kind of to 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 start growing uh, the user base, uh, start onboarding people uh, before the app is actually available. Um, and so in conversation, in discussion, and in my process of thinking through, you know, how do we onboard before the launch? How do we set up a, a pre-launch strategy that's going to really nail it and just just drive user, um, user adoption? And uh, really the idea and the purpose of the pre-launch strategy for this app is to get um, people talking and people sharing. Uh, and so we've, we've built in some, some strategies and some, some concepts into this pre-launch app to get people um, using uh, or, or signing up for the app and then making it easy for them to share. And uh, the app is only useful if you have other people to use it with. And so with that, uh, the pre-launch strategy, again, is, is to find more people um, who will share this app and, and tell people, hey, look, this will be much better if you're using it with me, so go download and and get on the um, get on the bandwagon before the app gets here. Uh, also, part of the pre-launch strategy, um, we're doing a food lottery. Uh, the app is is um, for it's a very unique food app, but uh, there's a lottery, and so it, so essentially, you know, the more people who can get uh, their friends and family on board in a specific area, the better, because we're going to launch the app in that area hardcore first. And they're going to get um, they're going to get a year's worth of food paid for, uh, a single meal a day for a year. Okay, so so all these different things we're thinking about, we're doing, and I'm going through the process, and I'm and in my in my research, I'm I'm looking specifically at at uh, growth hacking strategies and campaigns that other people have done and, and things that they've tried, and and um, and then I came across uh, some onboarding stuff and was reading about. Uh, some some acquisitions and um, and two very specific acquisitions I, I was looking into and, and reading about and and uh, one of them was the acquisition of Mailbox by Dropbox. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this, um, Mailbox and the reason I found this acquisition was because I was studying Mailbox's launch strategy and and how they rolled their app out. Um, if you're not familiar with Mailbox, uh, one of the things that they did is they used exclusivity and they used um, invite-only um, psychology to launching their app. And so essentially, what they did, they uh, because their 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 app was based on because of the infrastructure, the way they built their app, and it was built uh, on cloud technology. And so they wanted to make sure that that they could support the user base instead of just leaving it open for people to come sign up uh, and then crashing the system and having a horrible user experience. Uh, they rolled out their launch, um, you know, a few users at a time to make sure that the infrastructure can handle it and they can adjust and fix it uh, more iteratively uh, with the rollout. And so what they did uh, with that, 
was they set up a pre-launch um, strategy where they said, look, come sign up, um, come get on the list, and we'll, you'll slowly get the app rolled out to you. <clears throat> so um, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. People were signing up for this exclusive um, invite-only concept, and they had like a million people in line to get access to this app at one time. And uh, and so when you when you would sign up initially, you could go download the app, and uh, if you hadn't got access yet, it would show you a countdown. It would show you uh, how many. Uh, it would show where you're at in line, and then how many people after you um, were going to get it. And, and it might have even showed how many people were before you, right? So if your number seventy six thousand, and and literally it got up to like um, it got close to a million people in line to get access to this app. And so if you were like 170,000, number 170,000, it would show you that you had 100 people in front of you, right? And so you were only 100 away. But, you know, they were rolling these out in, in large batches, so it wasn't like one or two people getting access at a time, so that 100 wasn't like it was a, a long time away, right? Uh, but then I think it also showed how many people were behind you. Um, and, uh, and it was really just kind of cool because a lot of people were, were checking in, and I signed up for this as well. Uh, but a lot of people were checking in and they had launched the app just to see where they were and when they were going to get access to it or if they had access to it. Um, and so it created a huge buzz. It, it, it really grew virally as people were sharing it and talking about it. Um, and I would I would say that the number one reason, yes, the, the app was a good idea and it did simplify mail. And for people who use mail, uh, email a lot and really wanted to organize and, and have better control over their mail and... It really had some great features that that weren't on the market at the time in any other platform, uh, and so it was it was a good product. Uh, it's not like they just got lucky with with a uh, with just redoing mail. It just it had some core features that would really benefit benefit people who who were heavy email users, uh, and so it was it was a good product. But really, it was it was that from my perspective, it was that that exclusive invite only concept. Um, and Google did the same thing when they launched Inbox, um, which is their new mail application uh, for for um, for Gmail. But it was it's a mobile application, and uh, and it was for Gmail. Just again taking some of the same concepts. So essentially, they did what Mailbox did and, and added some more features and functionality to make it easier to manage your mail uh, in Inbox. But they did the exclusive concept as well, sign up and we'll let you know when you can access Inbox. And I don't know, uh, I didn't really look into this one just yet, but I don't know if it was because Inbox wasn't ready yet or if they were doing the same thing and slowly just rolling it out. I know it took, uh, I know I never received um, my invite to sign up for it until it just, until it was open and it was accessible to everybody at any time. Um, and so, um, so inbox, or I'm sorry, uh, G Google did the same thing with inbox in the sense of it was, it was sign up, you know, you, you get sign up for an invite and the invite would give you access to go download the app. Well, I never, I signed up pretty late for that. Um, but I never got an invite to go download. I just, I tried inbox, um, the first time when I was using my Gmail and I got a little pop-up that said, you know, you can, you can try it, you can use Inbox now. And it was at that point, it was available to anybody to use, so it wasn't so special anymore. But they onboarded a lot of people. They built a huge database of, of interested people, this list of, of people who are interested. And, and really it was this, this, this exclusivity, this invite-only concept that really drove people. And so Mailbox, in doing that, 
Um, now, now their app was complete and it was functional, it was being, it was usable. But again, it was just a slow rollout because they didn't want to crash their system and they wanted to monitor the infrastructure and make sure that they could support the huge user base. Because just, to, and 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 again, I think that this this invite-only concept of this exclusivity was really key to helping them uh, onboard as many people as they did. So in that research, I started you know, looking into Mailbox more, and then I started reading about the acquisition of Mailbox by Dropbox. And, uh, and, and you know, Dropbox, they, they acquired it, uh, I don't remember what year, I want to say like 2000 and, uh, 2012 maybe. And, uh, and then their whole goal with Dropbox was they saw, because it was cloud-based and it was really kind of built a lot like Dropbox in the sense that it was easy for, you know, it was easy for sharing and they, they saw the opportunity to integrate uh, Mailbox with Dropbox as an additional benefit to using Dropbox. Uh, but they ended up killing that project, I think, in 2014. They shut down Mailbox. Um, and uh, the reason for shutting it down was it was taking them away from or distracting them from their core product, which was file sharing and storage, okay? And uh, so it was really a distraction, so they killed it, along with a couple of other products uh, that they had acquired over the last couple of years. Uh, but here's the thing uh, I was thinking about it. You know, and they paid. They paid $100 million for Mailbox. Okay, so Dropbox acquired Mailbox for $100 million. And so I'm thinking, you know what? Like, really, where was the huge value in acquiring Mailbox, right? So why does a company like Dropbox acquire a product like Mailbox? Yes, A... Uh, it looks like it has some value to what they're doing. But obviously, uh, in a very short time, a year or two, they realized that it was a distraction to their core product, and so they ended up killing it. But uh, was it a loss? Was it a loss of $100 million? I, you know, I, I, would, I would say no, and this is why, and I think this is really the uh, key to uh, making this work. And, and why, it's, why a company would pay that kind of money for a product that they would possibly eventually kill. And, uh, and, and in this case, I think it's the user base, right? Think about Mailbox. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm betting that the million, million people or whatever it was that uh, had opted in for this invite access to Mailbox, I'm guessing that you know, that many users didn't stay active or on board. However, there was a huge number of people using Mailbox, and so in the acquisition, Dropbox just acquired, outside of a product, they acquired a user base, right? They acquired users who liked cloud-based products that were easier to use, more functional, had better features. So they acquired a product that was already uh, targeting and had users of their target market, okay? So let me, re let me say that again. So they acquired a product that already had a large user base of customers or users that um, were, their, were their ideal customer or their ideal target market. So here they acquired Mailbox and they instantly got a bunch of new users, right? Because as, the, as they integrated Mailbox with Dropbox, now I'm pretty sure that, you know, uh, you had to use Mailbox with Dropbox, right? And so now they acquire all these new users. And now they work on uh, onboarding these users into the Dropbox infrastructure. So now if they aren't Dropbox users already, they become Dropbox, Dropbox users. And then all they have to do is is an activation 
strategy or a onboarding strategy um, uh, and a retention strategy so that they can keep these users using Dropbox. Even if they stop using Mailbox, what they want to do is keep them using Dropbox and they can do that through a, a lot of different types of hacks and strategies um, to onboard these, these customers as, as Dropbox customers. Right, and so they did that over the years, and I'm sure that in the in the killing of mailbox, they probably ran through a process of making sure that they retained as many of those customers or those users as possible uh, through the Dropbox functionality. Um, right, and so and and here's really the thing: as as marketers today, and when you think about your marketing, um, the task shouldn't really necessarily be to build a brand, right, or even to maintain a pre-existing one. Um, we're, you're better off if, if you're thinking about building an army of um, insane or immensely loyal, uh, passionate users, right? That's really what you want. You want to build uh, an army of passionate users who love your product, who use it, and tell everybody about it. Because this is this you can track that. You can track users. You can track referrals. You can track all that information. Uh, you can define it, and you can use it to define and grow your business. And so, um, you know, if you focus all your marketing on uh, just, you know, branding this and branding that and, and being here and being there, uh, and you're not really focusing on building uh, a loyal user base, uh, then then you're not going to have this viral, virility uh, aspect to what you're doing, which what Mailbox did, right? They, they launched with an invite-only concept where now I'm just telling my friends about it or I'm, I'm wanting access to it only because it's invite only and they're saying that I can't uh, type of thing, right? And so it grew, grew, grew and they had this huge line of people wanting it. Um, and so so doing that just really does exponential things for your growth and for your onboarding process. Um, and so, you know, Dropbox, acquiring Mailbox, sure there, there was some product matchup um, there was a product fit. There was the ability to do that. But I, I would bet that high on the list of reasons to acquire was what I mentioned about how Mailbox had already generated a user base of Dropbox's ideal customers. And so it was an acquisition of users as well, which they were able to maintain even after killing Mailbox, I'm sure. So uh, another company came to mind, and, and again, something else I was researching, and you probably probably the earliest and most popular uh, growth hack that there was, and that was um, Hotmail, right? If you remember Hotmail, um, see if I can remember statistics and, and numbers here, uh, but Hotmail, Hotmail was uh, online for like 1.5 years and had acquired um, 12 million users, in 1.5 years, I believe, and at that time, having 12 million users was ridiculous, especially when you consider that there were only 70 million people on the internet, using the internet, active internet users, 20 million, or 70 million, and they had 12 million of them using Hotmail, and, uh, and so, you know, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, Hotmail, all they did um, was they put at the bottom of, of every email that got sent by their users was... Um, you know, a little statement that was something like, um, you know, get, get your free email account at Hotmail. And it was just a text link, and you clicked on it, and it took you to the Hotmail sign-up page. So now every time one of their 12 million uh, users sent an email, they were exposing somebody else to this advertisement uh, for Hot, Hotmail. 
Uh, and so they grew very rapidly, very quickly. Like I said, 1.5 years, they reached 12 million users, and uh, and it was huge, right? And so they were acquired. Um, I don't remember the year, but they were acquired by Microsoft, and a Microsoft acquired them for 400 million dollars. Okay, here's here's something that's really cool. Um, so the the founders of Hotmail, there was a, an initial investment in that 1.5 years, and maybe it was. You know, maybe it was a little more than 1.5 years for the complete uh, launch and build and everything of the product. Um, but in their short time, they had invested about $300,000. And they were acquired for $400 million by Microsoft. And uh, Hotmail today is still is still out there. It's still a free service. It's still, you know, email, online email. It's not the most popular one any, anymore. Uh, Google with Gmail uh, launched, you know, very aggressively not too long after Hotmail had reached significant growth and ended up taking over the market like Google does with most things um, that they come and, and disrupt. But um, but then I was thinking, okay, so, so, you know, Microsoft already had Outlook, right? They already had their own email system. Uh, so why are they acquiring Hotmail? And, uh, and really... You know, and, and here's the thing, like, you know, whatever their statement was, whatever that was, um, you know, even if it was just to learn about how to build a web-based email to make Outlook more efficient, to make Outlook uh, a better system um, for their users, think about the 12 million Hotmail users that they just acquired, right? And think about what that means. So of those 12 million, were there some that were probably using Outlook? Yeah, but where were they probably using Outlook? They were probably using Outlook at work, not at home. Um, and so now they have this whole new audience um, of, of of people that they can start targeting and, and and directing their marketing to and and onboarding onto Outlook into their other Microsoft products. Um, so again, 12 million users that they probably didn't have direct attention from. Sure, some of them they probably did, and maybe a lot of them they did. You know, but ultimately, this is 12 million email users, people who are using email every day. Um, and who they can start to try to onboard and bring into the Outlook infrastructure and the Outlook family uh, into other Microsoft products. Um, and so, so really, when you look at acquisitions, you know, and, and the power in my statement earlier about you building uh, an immensely loyal, passionate user base, um, that's really what where it comes down to, and what's going to make you so valuable as a company, whether it's in the services you provide or the products that you sell is being able to just do great things for users and have this army of users that are out there talking about your products, that are sharing them, that are sending emails and inviting people to join. When you send an email from your iPhone, the standard, uh, the standard message at the end is sent from my iPhone, right? Like, again, another little, you know, copy off of Hotmail where, you know, you're just, you're just, top of mind, right? In every email, you're reminding people about an iPhone, and they may be thinking, I'm uh, thinking about getting an iPhone, or I'm thinking about upgrading my iPhone. And every email they're getting from people sending mail through Mac Mail or through, through, the, through iCloud is that reminder, even uh, f from, their, uh, from their phone, is that reminder about the iPhone, right? Staying top of mind. And essentially, that's what Hotmail did. They just were top of mind with a simple, simple invite to get your free email account. Uh, and so, so as you think about that and the acquisition like from Dropbox of Mailbox and Microsoft of Hotmail, like sure there was probably some product mesh and there's this product fit and there's this this connection, but really it was 
from my perspective, the huge value for them and, and why they're willing to pay these hundreds of millions of dollars was for a user base, to get access to users who are using a product that you have or that's similar to what you have uh, that makes them your ideal customer and easier for you to onboard and to move from one product to the next instead of going out and trying to reach that million users through traditional marketing methods, um, right? And so, so there's a, there's a lot of brilliance in, in the acquisition process and and uh, and really what I really want you to focus on in here and and I did do a podcast not too long ago on branding and 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 what level you should really focus on branding and there's a lot of out, a lot of uh, back and forth on this out there. Uh, but really, don't focus so much on your brand. Like Mailbox, uh, or when Dropbox bought Mailbox, or acquired Mailbox, they didn't really focus on the Mailbox brand, right? Because, you know, they ended up killing it. And so they focused on bringing that into their product and making it a part of their product. Uh, and they stayed focused on the Dropbox um, brand. Um, but what they were able to do was to acquire a bigger army of loyal users, people who loved this new app. Uh, and so that's really where you need to be thinking is how do I uh, acquire an army of loyal, passionate users who love my product and want to share it? And here's the thing about it, um, and, and I'll do a podcast on this probably soon and, and, and possibly even a webinar here soon, um, so so be on the lookout for this. But um, Possibly, one other thing that you're looking at here is, um, sorry, I lost my, oh, the, the, the data, right? The tracking, right? So you, having users and, and having users out spreading the word is something that you can easily track, okay? And you can use that to define and grow, like I mentioned. And so you want to make sure that no matter what you're doing uh, in, in growing, so for us in this, 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 I started out talking about the client I have where we're kind of launching a new mobile app. Uh, for us, it's the same thing, um, where I'm constantly thinking about how, what can we do that's track, that I can track, that I know we're getting referrals, that I know is working, uh, so that we can adjust as we go through this pre-launch strategy and even into the launch of the actual app. Okay, and so having users, having them share with referral links um, and and all that stuff, and Dropbox does a really good job of this um, in their core product. Is when you when you share it with a friend, you get you know, 200 megabytes or 125 megabytes. When when your friends join, you get another 50 megabytes, whatever it is, right? However they have that set up. But it's a great way to grow your free Dropbox storage capacity by just sharing it, by just letting people know. And so um, be thinking about that, right? Because what you really want is an army of loyal users who just are out there preaching, um, evangelizing your business, your services, your products, because that is when virality happens. That's when things go viral. That's when your growth, your marketing takes a whole new approach, a whole new direction, and you don't have to be at the helm of it. You don't have to be the one setting it up and, and managing it, right? You just make it easy for people to share and to find and to access and to start using. And uh, you can focus on just making your customers happier and providing the things that they want so that they stay loyal and they continue to grow. Uh, I went on for a little bit longer than normal today, but but I think there's so much power in this, and I hope you can distill from today's podcast um, that uh, that power of a, of a, of a user base is just loyal to you, okay? And then start thinking about how do I incorporate this into my business? What are some things I can do to do more powerful onboarding or to get my users uh, or my customers uh, to 
to, to be more shareable, to be out there and, and become walking billboards or talking billboards and, and, and constantly sharing my business and my services and my products so that you can have immense growth. Um, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to let you go. Um, we're, we're, we're probably the longest pack podcast yet. But again, I'm going to expand upon this more. Uh, in, in, in future podcasts and some, some live streaming we're going to do, some webinars we're going to do because there's, there's huge value here and I'm going to break it down and, and show you some ways to incorporate this. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're following us, following me on Twitter at Chris Egg. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to our blog at chrisegg.com and uh, go to marketingdraft.com is where you'll find all the podcast episodes. Um, but yeah, just, you know, Periscope at chrisegg.com. Just wherever I am, you want to be there because I'm going to share this information um, and uh, get it out to you, and I want you to be able to benefit from it. So we'll talk to you in the next podcast. I appreciate you guys again for tuning in, um, and uh, you guys have a great, wonderful day, and we'll see you next time. (music) 